you would please, uh, turning the Bible to Luke chapter 2, on page uh, 857 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read from verses 8 to 21. Please stand. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, For all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to be together this morning. Uh, We thank you so much, Father, for the love you've placed between us in Christ. And once again, Father, we pray that that love would grow more and more. We pray, gracious Heavenly Father, that you would now please send the Holy Spirit powerfully upon us to put away from us all the distractions that keep us from hearing your voice. And give us ears, Father, that we might truly hear your word, believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Again, Merry Christmas. It's, um, it's wonderful that Christmas is not just a single day, it is a whole season, uh, 12 days traditionally, where we continue to think about and celebrate and ponder and reflect on the birth of Christ. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning and next Sunday as well on the second Sunday of Christmas. We're going to be looking at this passage uh, that we have probably all read, all the adults in the room have read many times. The kids are maybe just beginning to hear it, just beginning to think about it. But it's such an important passage that we're going to take a whole Sunday just to reflect on these words and to reflect seriously on what they might mean for you and me here at MetroCrest today. Uh, the, the verse I want to sort of pull out as the theme verse for this passage, uh, for the sermon this morning, is uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy. Uh, The angel is very keen to deliver to these quaking shepherds who are fearful at the appearance of this angel. Uh, The angel is very keen to bring them a message and an interpretation of some things that he's going to be telling them about and some things that they're going to see. The angel brings this important message and he has to explain to them that what he's bringing, even though they're fearful, he says, don't be afraid because I'm actually bringing good news. Uh, That word good news is how we get the word gospel, evangelion. This is the angel presenting the evangelion, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And it's summed up in this way. Great joy, he says, uh, that will be for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, Christ is coming into the world. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises is coming into the world. And that Christ is coming as Savior. Uh, He's coming not only as King, but as Savior. And His very name, Jesus, sums up His job description. The Lord saves. Jesus comes to fulfill that great promise. Delivered by the prophets and delivered here by the angel, Jesus came into the world. He was born in order to be Savior. He was in Himself Savior. And that is very, very good good news indeed. For all the people, all the people, that's a, a phrase that has significance. The people, whenever we see this in the Scriptures, the people refer to the covenant people. God's covenant people. This is good news for God's covenant people. And what Jesus is going to show to us in the rest of this book, in the book of Acts, in the entire New Testament, is that the people comes to be broader and broader and broader in the sense that God reaches out beyond the Jewish people, through the Jewish people, to the whole world. So that even people like me who have backgrounds and genetics that don't go near the uh, Jewish race... Uh, I'm the beneficiary, and you're the beneficiary. We're all the beneficiary of this birth. The people includes even the likes of me, and even the likes of you. Uh, This is good news for us. And what we're going to see in this passage is that this is good news that requires, or that rather investigates, investigation. Sorry, it invites investigation. This is good news that invites investigation. Secondly, it's good news that requires explanation. And thirdly, it's good news that demands a response. We'll see this pattern a lot in the New Testament. There's a response called for, and that's where we will finish up in just a few minutes. Now, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you'll know I pointed out, and you may have already known this, uh, that Luke is going to great pains to anchor what he is telling us about in time and space, in reality. Uh, Luke is not writing a myth. He's not writing a fantasy. He's not writing a meaningful story that he hopes will help us feel better. Uh, As Luke chapter 1, verse, the first few verses of Luke say, um, Luke's purpose is to record things and to bring things to us so that we can have confidence in what we believe. Uh, Luke is intentionally anchoring his message and the message of this angel 
in time and space. So we read about Augustus and Quirinius, real people. You can Google them. They're they're real people. They lived in time and space. Uh, He talks about Galilee and Nazareth and Judea and this little town Bethlehem. Again, these are real places. They exist. You can Google them. They're there. And in the time when Luke was writing, there were people within that generation who knew the facts that Luke is recounting. Luke is actually telling a story among a group of people who knew whether or not what he was saying was true. One of the interesting things about the Gospels is they were all written at a time when there were people around within a generation or two who knew what he was talking about. They knew whether these things had really happened. And so Luke goes to great, great pain to present this good news, which in fact demands and requires and invites investigation. Uh, Luke is not afraid that people will fact check him. We live in a time of fact checking. Well, so did Luke. People fact check things. And there were people who would know whether the facts Luke records really happened or not. Well, Luke makes it his point to write an orderly account of the things that really happened in time and space. And he invites us to be investigators. Uh, I mentioned this, this book, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christmas. Please grab a copy or two as you leave church this morning. We might even get a few more copies. It's such a helpful little book. In it, Lee Strobel, who is an investigative journalist, Uh, Many years with the Chicago Tribune, he won prizes for his work as an investigative journalist. He was himself an atheist, a proud atheist, a very determined atheist who did investigation. He actually went to the facts that were recorded in the scriptures and he did investigation. And in his book, he records an investigation that he did on the claims of Christmas He walked through a lot of the things you hear and read from skeptics, people who say all kinds of crazy things about the Christmas story. He goes through and examines those briefly, but he goes through and examines those, and he comes out at the other side with with an opinion of his investigation. And he invites you and me to join him in that investigation. We're not merely meant to accept it, to, to to just blindly accept it. Uh, we're, we're to enter into this spirit of the time and space reality that Luke is describing. I encourage this book to you. And of course, there are many other much more involved books. James was telling me just uh, Christmas Eve night about another book, a longer book, which I'll be putting out uh, on our website and through Realm. So you, you can do as much investigation as you want to because the good news invites us to investigate. It's not afraid of fact-checking. Whole disciplines of archaeology and history and sociology actually study in great detail the claims that Luke and others present in the Gospels. And so we're invited to enter into that investigation. And actually the first investigators are described here in this passage. If you look down at... uh, Chapter 2, verse 15 in the passage before us says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Now an angel just pronounced to them something. We'll look at that in a moment. 
But their first response was, let's go see it. Let's go see what we were just told about. Is it true? Is it, is it really the way we've heard? We're invited to be a part of that ongoing shepherd investigation. Uh, even today, even today, we have, you will have friends who are unsure of the gospel claims. They're unsure of these things they've heard about Jesus. Well, you know what? That is, that is not something we're afraid of. It's not something we hate. One of the attitudes I hope to develop and I hope our church will always have is an openness to the person who's not yet convinced, an openness to the investigator. Uh, that's a risky business. It's consuming uh, time and resources, but that's the gospel endeavor to present to an investigating world the claims that we believe. And the good news that we read about here actually invites that investigation. Let's join in. Let's be a part of that investigation. One little detail that the angel mentions, and actually uh, this is maybe the second reference to this. It shows up down in, uh, in verse 12. Uh, the angel is speaking and he's describing the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, verse 12, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel actually says there's a bit of evidence. This evidence is unlikely. It's, it's that this baby we've been talking about, that this angel is telling us about, this baby will be in a manger and it will be wrapped in swaddling cloths. And that is evidence somehow of something that the angel wants the shepherds to see and and actually something we should see we're invited to see as well we're invited to investigate this I read all kinds of explanations about what was the evidence of the swaddling cloths there were some who pointed to a reference in uh, the book of wisdom chapter 7 verse 4 which describes Solomon the king being wrapped in swaddling cloths it could be a reference to this kingly connection the house of David uh, others pointed to a passage in Ezekiel in which the people of Israel are described, the people are described as not being wrapped in swaddling cloths, an indication that they were sort of orphans, uh, fatherless, uh, without uh, resources. And Ezekiel talks about that. It, it, there are those who think what's being described here is that Jesus comes as the antidote to that fatherlessness, that homelessness. There are other scholars who say that these priests, these shepherds rather, were Levitical shepherds and they were in charge of raising the lambs that would be sacrificed in the temple, the uh, anointed lambs that were specially set apart for sacrifice. And there were those who, who said that the fact that this baby was wrapped in swaddling cloths, which apparently the lamb to be offered at this temple was to be wrapped and their legs were swaddled there were some who said that this is a glimpse of what Jesus came to do to, to be a sacrifice all those are interesting they may be true there may be some connection but I think the actual message the real thing that this is evidence of is simpler and actually more profound um, the fact that there was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths this fulfillment of a promise from an angelic messenger, fulfillment of a promise in the scriptures going back centuries and centuries, this baby is evidence of the realness 
the humanity, the humanness, the physicalness of this baby. It's not, a, it's not an ethereal vision. Christianity sometimes can be reduced to ethereal visions. Not this baby. Uh, if you've ever known a, a, ba- a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling cloths underscores the, the humanness, the reality. It's not an ethereal vision, but a living, breathing, wiggling baby. That was the evidence of the baby in the manger, that, that this fulfillment of God's promise had come in the form of a real child. Not an airy, fairy vision, but a, a real baby. And that real baby is the topic of the rest of the book of Luke. His growing up, the experiences he had, the things he did, the things he taught us, the example he gives us, and ultimately that that real, live baby grew up to be a real, live man who would suffer and die on the cross as the Lamb of God for you and me. And these shepherds came and investigated that claim. They came and they saw that real, live, wiggling baby. Maybe it reminded them of Solomon. Maybe it called to their mind the words of Ezekiel. Maybe it reminded them of the lamb that would be sacrificed in the temple. But it certainly spoke. It certainly spoke to the reality of this child and this promise. So they were part of that first investigation and you and I are invited to be part of that as well and to invite others to be a part of that investigation. It's also good news that requires explanation. It does invite invitation, but it requires more than merely the facts. The facts of Jesus' birth, verses 1 to 7 here in Luke chapter 2, are actually fairly simple and straightforward. It's just a description in time and space of things that happened. They provide a historical context and they certainly describe a miracle. But in themselves, these facts are of only limited value. Now this good news involves an explanation, a God-given explanation through a divinely appointed messenger, an angel and later angels. The good news that Luke tells us about is facts plus explanation. God explains what he is doing. If God didn't tell us what he's doing, we wouldn't really be able to fully understand. We could see so much, but we couldn't put together the idea of a savior. We couldn't put together the idea of a covenant promise over millennia fulfilled in a Savior, a baby, Christ, born into the world. So the angel, in verse 10, provides that explanation. He actually tells these shepherds exactly what God is doing. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel, was it Gabriel? He's already showed up twice in this book. Could it have been Gabriel? It could have been. May have been another angel. But this angel brings this divinely appointed message. This baby that you can go and see in the manger and 
see its humanness, its physicalness, its reality, that baby has actually come into the world to save. That baby has come into the world to fulfill all the promises of God, pointing towards his mercy and grace, towards his covenant people and towards the sinful world. And then these facts plus explanation bring forth a whole choir of angels whose singing helps us understand as they explain the facts. Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So God not only sent one angel, but he sent a whole multitude of angels to explain this baby, to explain the baby to the shepherds, but also to explain the baby to you and me. And Luke writes it down so that we will understand. So we will have the facts and the God-given explanation. Now, explanation gets at at whether you truly believe the explanation. And whether you truly believe the explanation, it means whether you truly believe the witness, the person giving you the explanation. So we're told it was an angel. I mean, you decide. Are you going to believe an angel? Are you going to believe a choir of angels? Well, the funny thing was that the choir of angels were witnessing to shepherds who were thought of as the least reliable people in the community. Uh, the shepherds were the people who lived out in the, in the crazy wilderness and they, they were uncouth people and they had all kinds of weird habits. And by the time of Jesus, shepherds were not very well thought of in the community. They were not the reliable people that we see in the kingly representation of David. A shepherd was near the bottom of the heap, the social heap. They were, they were not the most reliable people. And yet, interestingly, in the Gospel of Luke, it is first to the shepherds. First to the shepherds that, that God sends a word of explanation. Would they believe the angel? They did believe the angel. Would they believe the choir of angels? They did believe the choir of angels. Will we believe the witness of the angels and the unlikely witnesses who vouched for the angel? And then in the rest of chapter 2, we're going to see again and again how God comes to the unlikeliest people. Not the the ones you'd think of, not not the people you'd want their endorsement. They go to old people and and, and, uh, marginalized people. That's the people to whom God sends the witness. And it's through their witness that you and I, generations and generations later, we hear this same word. And we're left in the position, will we accept the explanation? Will we believe what we've been told? Well, Strobel touches on that as well. He points out that the very fact that God chose the unlikeliest ones speaks so much about God and about the message he has sent. And so we're in a position of of having to have a God-given explanation and then being in a position of deciding, will we accept it? Will we believe it? And again, that's, that's the whole point of Luke's book. That's why he writes this book. 
He wants to bring the facts and the God-given explanation and then present it to us. And the simple question is, will you believe it? Do you believe it? We all know, of course, apart from the Holy Spirit, we're, we're allergic to God's word. We're allergic to his word of life to us. We, we run the other way. But not only is this good news that invites investigation, that requires explanation, but it's also good news that demands a response. And I'll close with this last point. Everything we read in the book of Luke calls for a response. All the facts, all the explanation calls for a response. Do you believe what we are told? Do you believe what the Bible teaches us? Uh, I've mentioned a few times a, a man who is a hero to me and a dear friend of Leslie and me, a man named J.I. Packer. Uh, Dr. Packer's with Jesus now, but he wrote a, a wonderful comment on how the gospel calls for a response. And he pointed out that uh, he had once read a copy of the Revised Standard Version, the RSV, that's the translation of the Bible that I studied in seminary. He said he'd read a passage from the RSV where there'd been a typo. And it said not RSV, but RSVP. (laughs) And he pointed out that that's exactly right. The Bible comes with an RSVP. Respond, please. Respond to this message. Respond to this good news. How do you respond to it? He wrote, Dr. Packer wrote, the message is an invitation to which sinners are to RSVP. A response is always called for. I guess this first Sunday of Christmas, I want to call for a response from you. The, The shepherds had a response. The angel choir had a response. And we'll see right through the book of Luke over and over again, the response to the gospel. There will be those who reject it. But there will be many who embrace it. And actually here in this passage, there are three responses suggested. Three responses are suggested. Uh, The first comes in uh, verse 18. Uh, These shepherds wouldn't quit talking about what they'd seen. They wouldn't quit talking about what had been revealed to them. And so they went around telling people. Uh, It says they made it known what that that it, well, all that had been told to them concerning this child. Verse 14, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. That's, that's one of the three responses highlighted in this passage. Wonder. They wondered. The, the word is sometimes, sometimes translated, were amazed by. They were, they were uh, in awe of. The idea is what the shepherds told about the angel and the angels that brought forth awe and amazement and wonder from those who heard it. And that's, that's one of the reactions, one of the responses that's being highlighted here. I think it's one of the responses that is called for in the whole book. Wonder, amazement. Actually entering into the story and reflecting on what it's telling us. And you know, it's, it's only with very cynical ears that we quit wondering and being amazed by the gospel, the good news. 
I mean, I've said several times this season how wonderful it is to see children growing up and encountering these stories, how, how breathtaking it is to see little ones wondering on the stories that you and I might have gotten so used to hearing we don't think about anymore. But that kind of childlike wonder is a gift. It is a gift. It's actually a response that Strobel describes. It's, it was his response as he entered into this story, as he actually investigated the claims, as he actually read the interpretation and thought about it. He found himself in awe. The Jewish theologian Abraham Herschel, he said, awe precedes faith. It is at the root of faith. Awe, wonder, amazement. There's some sense in which Aided by the Spirit, you and I interact with these amazing truths. And they bring forth this wonder in us. There are degrees of it, but it brings forth this wonder. And that's, that's a response that we pray for. We pray that people will respond with wonder. There's another response, and it's the response of Mary in verse 19. She I mentioned this on Christmas Eve. Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. If the good news demands a response that might include wonder, it also includes ponder. To ponder the truth of the gospel. To ponder this old, old, old story. To think about it. To reflect on it. To wrestle with it. The word ponder actually calls to mind this idea of throwing things together. There's this... this, uh, psychological and mental activity of engaging the claims. The very last thing you want is a yawn. That's a terrible thing to say when you yawn at the gospel, when you yawn at the claims of Christ. That's a, that's a very dangerous thing, the reaction of yawning. I'd much rather have someone who's wrestling actively with what the Bible says. Someone who's actually trying to think it through. And yes, they might have questions. Yes, they might be unsure about things. Yes, they may be confused about this or that. But they're wrestling with it. They're pondering it. And interestingly, that's what Mary did. Mary pondered it. She treasured it. She guarded it and kept it. And as she did that, she pondered it. She reflected on it. Let's not have a yawning Christmas season. Twelve days of pondering more and more and more the gospel, the good news of Christ's birth, to to ponder all that was involved in Him being born to be our Savior. What does that mean for us? Let's ponder it. Let's wrestle with it. And finally, the third response, and one that just fills me with joy, is the response of praise. Uh, Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Did they fully understand? Of course not. Of course not. They'd never even heard of the Westminster Confession of Faith. But they had been touched by the God we come to know through the Scriptures Summed up for us in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Summed up for us. But the praise comes from engaging with Him. And praising Him. Glorifying Him. That's a response that, boy, I, I long for in my own heart. I don't want to meet 
what God has done for me with a yawn or indifference or simply going through motions. I want to pray for a heart that responds with praise, glorifying the God who has kept his word across the millennia, who is dependable, who is trustworthy, and who loves us so much that he has sent a Savior to be born for us and to die for us.